As part of our Wheaton Bible Church family, you share an amazing history, one that embraces the power of possibility, the kind only God can accomplish. It starts back in 1929, on the brink of the Great Depression. Stepping out in faith, our very first members pledged to send and support three missionaries across the world to share the gospel with those who had never heard. God grew our influence, touching thousands of lives, generation after generation, including 25 years ago, when a Spanish-speaking Bible study began in our English-speaking church, and God grew it into Iglesia del Pueblo. As God continued to work, our church began to outgrow our comfortable downtown suburban setting. So bravely, and with much prayer, we began to ask, as those who'd gone before us, what if... What if God were calling us to a new location? A place where we could better reach our ethnically and economically diverse county of now nearly a million people. And He provided with a campus and facility on North Avenue. And our vision enlarged again as we asked, what if? What if God were to increase our reach around the world, but also to the 800,000 people right here in DuPage County who don't attend any church where they can hear the hope of the gospel? What if we were to see hundreds of children, students, and families, many who are first-generation immigrants, experience God's touch through our Puente del Pueblo outreach in West Chicago? What if our Latino congregation, now a full arm of outreach, provided us with needed experience and insights for reaching people of other ethnic minorities? What if we could launch a new campus in an underchurched area nearby and see Tri-Village Church grow to over 300 people in 18 months? And that's exactly what God brought about. Now we believe He is again calling us to new steps of faith and new adventures. And yes, new what-if possibilities. New growth. A heart for every person in our county. Expanded outreach opportunities both locally and globally. New passion for another generation to carry His church forward to the ones who will follow. Towards something still unimagined and amazing. So what if? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Now, there's a couple different ways to look at this verse, but one is to see it as a promise, a promise that God is able, that God is able to do infinitely beyond uh, our wildest dreams, our deepest prayer requests, our, uh, our, our most difficult moments, our greatest heartache. God is able. God is willing, that implies. God is love to do exceedingly abundantly beyond. How? 
according to his power. It's not our power. It's according to his power, the power of the Holy Spirit that is resident in the lives of each and every follower of Jesus Christ. The moment we come to Christ, the Spirit indwells us. But it's God's power. It's not ours. It's God's abilities it's, and, and God's character and God's grace. It's not our abilities. So frankly, when we come to this tagline, what if? How can we as followers of Jesus Christ not ask, what if? God is able to do immeasurably more. But what if? Our neighbors were to come to Christ. Our, 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 some of our co-workers are our, our family members. I'll tell a story about that a little later. Uh, what if uh, we have said, uh, set aside this time and invited people to join us into a life group? Or what if our family set aside some time and, and we gave ourselves to ministry together as a family to the vulnerable? Oh, what if? What might God do? Uh, God is able now this morning, I want to talk about our future. Actually, I want to talk about how God has been stirring my heart about our future. But it's not just my heart. It's the hearts of our elders, our, our, our staff, our, our leaders. As we think about what immeasurably more might look like for us, specifically over the next five years. But before we look forward, I, I want to look back to the last 10 years because we are coming up on the 10-year anniversary in just really two months of when we relocated, we relocated to this campus. And so you saw the video. Let me mention a couple other uh, significant aspects of how God has done immeasurably more over the last 10 years. I will never forget before we relocated, people coming to me, people coming to, to others and saying, you know, um, I'm really struggling with this relocation. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure I can support it because there's so much money involved. It's um, so extensive. It'll be a real drain of focus and, and resources. And actually what was often said is our, our giving uh, to missions, to the global and local cause of Christ will go down. Now here we are 10 years later, and I want you to know exactly the opposite has happened. Over the last 10 years, Wheaton Bible Church has given away, better invested, $23 million in the local and global cause of Christ. Amen, Lord. Thank you. That's over $2 million a year. Now, there's all sorts of stories that have taken place over the last 10 years. Let me tell you just one. This is more recent. This has taken place over the last two years. It comes from the country of Kenya. Along with our two Kenyan partners, World Relief and Parkland Baptist Church in Nairobi, our church, the three partners, con made contact with an extremely remote, unreached community in one of the most isolated parts of the world, northern Kenya. Rhonda and I were just there a couple of years ago. 
I mean, talk about remote. Wonderful people, but so isolated. Now, because of a long-standing, I, I mean, a year and a half, two-year drought, 50% of this community was starving. One out of two people was starving. And so our partners, with our support, went in and they dug a borehole, think a well. And because water is so scarce in that part of the world, that borehole had to go down 500 feet to reach water. And now today, they have water. And today, this nomadic community is now able to begin to learn agriculture. And so the starvation is being addressed. We still have a long way to go. But here I'm standing here with one of the pastors from Parklands Baptist Church on a sand dam in the middle of this isolated area near this community. And you can't say it, see it, but Wheaton Bible Church is part of the stone here. Our name is here in northern Kenya. And in addition to addressing the the starvation and the drought, the coolest part of the story is in the last year or so, 285 people in that community have come to Jesus. I mean, how cool. Come to Jesus. And you know, what this is about is about our church, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, stepping in with gospel words and gospel deeds that Jesus might be glorified. So today, and this is just one of hundreds of stories, today we support 93 missionaries and indigenous partners in 40 of the 195 countries in the world. Wheaton Bible Church is in over 20% of the countries in the world. Over the last 10 years, we have baptized 1,000 people. We have started a new campus in Streamwood. We have stood for justice. We have become more outward focused. We have resisted Christian moralism. Living the spiritual life by moralism. Uh, we have become more gospel-centered. That's why our first value of our 12 values is that the gospel isn't just the starting line for the Christian, it's the entire race. In other words, the focus of our Christian lives isn't on what we must do, but it's on what Jesus has done for us, and we live in light of the gospel. Over the last 10 years, we have increasingly encouraged everyone at Wheaton Bible Church to see themselves as sent, sent into culture to be salt and light, wherever they are, whatever they are doing, and to understand that all of you, all of us who know Jesus, have a calling every bit as significant and as important as any missionary or any pastor. This is just a snapshot. It's kind of the tip of the iceberg of what's happened over the last 10 years. So now, what about our future? What if? We know a God who is able. Now, everything I am about to say when we talk about our, our vision is rooted in what the Bible teaches us 
about the heart of God. So I'm moving from the promise, Ephesians 3.20, to the character of God. From what God promises to who God is. And what is the heart of God? Well, right at the center of the heart of God is that more and more people will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we see this throughout the Bible, that more and more, the heart of God is that more people will come to know Christ, and that through our gospel words and through our gospel deeds, we will impact all quarters of culture. That's the heart of God. That's why we relocated 10 years ago. That's why today and over the next three Sundays, we're going to be talking about this vision, this five-year vision. But I want you to understand the heart of God is underneath it. So let's trace this briefly, biblically. You go back to near the beginning of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. He commissions Abraham, but he doesn't merely commission Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. He commissions Abraham that through Israel, the nations might be reached. So we come to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, and God promises Abraham all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now this heart of God, not merely for Israel, but for all the nations, is such an important theme throughout the Old Testament. And you thought the Old Testament was just about Israel. It's not. It is such an important theme throughout the Old Testament that this notion of the nations coming to the experience the glory of God and the knowledge of God is repeated over and over. But it's when we come to the New Testament that the New Testament tells us this blessing promised in Genesis chapter 12 is salvation. Eternal life, new life in Jesus Christ. So that the moment a person comes to Jesus, receives Jesus by faith. And by the way, if you are here this morning and you haven't done that, I want to appeal to you to receive Jesus by faith. The moment a person does that, that person steps into this blessing of God. And all the blessings of God are, are poured out on us, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. So, for example, in Luke chapter 15, we have three wonderful parables in Luke chapter 15, but they're all about the same thing. They're all about the heart of God. They're all about the heart of Jesus, and Jesus tells us these parables. And Jesus compares God's heart, first of all, in the first parable, to a shepherd who leaves his 99 sheep in the open country, the text says, in a vulnerable position. Why? To go after the one lost sheep. The heart of God is for the lost. In the second parable, it's the same thing. Jesus tells us a story about a woman who turns her house upside down, inside out, uh, looking for the lost coin, the one lost coin. The heart of God is like that woman. And then in the third and the most famous of the three parables, 
Uh, Jesus tells us the heart of God is like the father who forgives a prodigal and extends grace to the self-righteous elder son. The heart of God is for the lost. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but receive eternal life. And then at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus commissions the church, you and me, in Matthew 28. And Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, all peoples. So let's put this together. In Genesis chapter 12, God promises his commitment to see the nations blessed. When we come to Matthew 28, Jesus assigns that promise to you and me, to the church, to reach our neighbors, our co-workers, uh, the people in our lives. So what I want to do now is I, I, I want to talk about this assignment Jesus has given us. I want to talk about this promise that God is able. I want to talk about what the heart of God uh, might, how it might get expressed here at Wheaton Bible Church. And I want to say on the front end, boy, we don't have all the answers and we are very much in process. And some of you, as you come together with us and we move through this together, you're going to see things and God's going to say things to you that, that will help us along the way. So I do not want to presume in any way that this is some sort of final word. But we have, as elders and staff, set a direction we believe God has called us to. Something, as I said earlier, that's been stirring in my heart really for about a year and a half or two just as God stirred in my heart before we relocated. And I am really excited to share this with you today. And so I want to begin where we sort of began by doing some research, by actually looking at what is going on in the communities around us. I do not mean the community here. I mean DuPage Cook County, the neighborhoods of cities and the villages around us. And so this is what uh, data tells us that our community has become increasingly multicultural. Today, 33% non-white. 50 years ago, that was 3%. It's just a matter of years until it will become 40%. In addition, our community is characterized by people who are in families that love their kids, are educated, they're professionals, uh, affluent commuters, and 80%. Now, let's just talk about DuPage County. DuPage County is a county of about a million. 80% not in evangelical churches. That means there are 800,000 people that do not know Jesus all around us. 800,000. Now, in light of that research, I want to talk about our context. And notice uh, we've entitled this our Wheaton Bible Church Ministry Pyramid. 
And what I want you to see is there's a, a, a purple dotted line running through this. And that's important is because as you can see over here, what's below this line is foundational and unchanging. What's above it, it will change with context and time. So at the foundation of who we are as a church, how we do ministry is our beliefs. We have 12 doctrine points in our church's constitution that maybe were tweaked decades ago, but are largely unchanging. This is what we base our ministry on. Things like the authority of God's word, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone, uh, the importance of the gospel, in people uh, coming to Jesus Christ. And I want to know, I want you to know, I should say, as we are entering into a time of change, and we'll progressively lay this out over the next three weeks, our beliefs are unchanging. On top of that is our mission. Our mission is that more and more people would love God, grow together, and reach the world. That is unchanging. Our 12 values, I referred to the first a minute ago, unchanging. But when we come to strategy, how we accomplish our vision, notice that we're very much in process. We're still turning on lights. We invite you into this process to join us that together we can turn on lights. Now our vision, and this is what I want to talk about, this is a bulk of what I will talk about in the time we have left, is where we are headed. It's our targets. It, our, our vision describes what our future might look like in five years if we are making progress on our mission. So these targets are our mission kind of with where the rubber meets the road, boots on the ground. Now what that means is we have identified five targets that are specific and measurable so that you can hold us accountable so the elders can hold the staff accountable. That's critical. And because there are five targets that are specific and measurable, they are stated in terms of numbers or percentages, and you'll see that. But I want you to understand, this is not a numbers game. We've never been a numbers-oriented church, and we won't be going into the future, but these numbers represent individual lives human hearts, children, students, adults, singles, fam you know, couples that are married. So this is our pyramid. I will die for this, but I recognize this will change over time. So what is our five-year vision? Let me begin to express it. Now notice it's stated in the context of the three legs of our mission stool, love God, grow together, and reach the world. And our aspirational target for the next five years is that 8,000 people will be gathering weekly for worship. Currently, we have a little more than 4,000. In our campuses, throughout our ministry, a total worship attendance on a Sunday, we're talking about a double. Now, to get there, some aspects of that, and there are many others that I, uh, we don't have the time to go into, uh, we are announcing today our intent over the next five years to start two new campuses. 
We've had a very successful launch for 18 months in Tri-Village. And we hope uh, by sometime, preferably early in 2020, we will launch our second campus, then a third within the next five years. Now let me talk about ethnic diversity. You heard me say that our communities are 33% non-white. We've set a target at 30%. Now this does not mean, and this is important, this does not mean we're going to add up the Filipinos and the Hispanics and other uh, ethnic minorities in our church and take the Hispanics and add them together with you know, the rest of us, the English speakers, if you will. That's not quite accurate. And then we're going to derive a percent. No. What we're talking about, hear me in this, is that every single one of our English-speaking services will be characterized by 30% ethnic minorities. Right now, Tri-Village is at 20%. When we add all the people at Wheaton Bible Church, it's about 19%. But the problem is, and this is a problem we are going to address because of what's going on in our culture around us, is that we have been too separate. So let me continue. Why this multi-ethnic focus? Well, as our culture, schools, and neighborhoods change, Wheaton Bible Church must update its long-standing commitment to ethnic ministry, primarily Hispanic, by moving to less independence and more interdependence. Less independence and more interdependence. Now, our second largest ethnic group, next to our Latino brothers and sisters, is, is our, our Filipino. And then the percentages um, uh, go down with other ethnic groups. But what I want you to know is the nations are here. Over the last couple of weeks alone, as we've registered fan, uh, students for our five-day-a-week, all-day, Pointe summer camp, we have needed seven different, seven different languages translated. Just in the last couple of weeks. The nations are here. We cannot, we cannot ignore this. Now, uh, a couple of years ago, and, and actually Hannibal's going to preach on this, He's going to lay out next week a biblical perspective on multi-ethnic ministry. And I want you to know Hannibal has, has seen this. He's been ahead of me in a wonderful way. And for the last six months, Hannibal has been leading our elder board and our staff. We've read a book, a wonderful book, John Piper's Bloodlines on diversity, multi-ethnicity in the context of a local church. Piper's Bloodlines. We've been reading articles. We've been discussing for six months what this might look like going forward as a church. About a year and a half ago, I kind of woke up one day and had a little more clarity than I usually do in the morning. And it hit me, Rob, the schools and the neighborhoods around us are more diverse than the worship services and our students' ministry here at Wheaton Bible Church. 
And we've got to change. The culture is changing. God's heart is for the nations. Genesis 12, for the peoples. And so let me talk about what some aspects of this. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Later this summer, we're going to merge our junior and senior high school student ministries while maintaining ethnic diversities. I could say shame on us for not doing this sooner. But I want you to know our leaders in our student ministries, volunteers and, and others have been wrestling with us. We're all really excited about this. Hannibal will become one of our primary communicators. He's going to join our teaching team. We will periodically but regularly integrate our contemporary service worship teams. Now, we believe that change has to come uh, from the platform. I mean, if we're going to talk about this and the platform's the same, uh, we're kidding ourselves. We're really... um, engaging in public hypocrisy. But we also know it's much more than the platform. It's ultimately relationships, relationship with our neighbors, with others that have different ethnic backgrounds than we do. Why? Why are we going to do this? Why are we going to give ourselves to this? Because frankly, this is the gospel. It's where this is all headed, that all the nations will be together celebrating, glorifying God, that God will be glorified in our diversity and unity in Christ. Um, Also, this is us. Uh, To enhance the integration, um, we've had this one body, two arms model. And in the video, we talked about starting our Hispanic uh, ministry 25 years ago. Actually, we started it 30 years ago with a Bible study in our old building. 30 years ago. But what I want to say to you, this model is no longer going to work for us. The one body refers to the fact that we are one church, one constitution, one budget, one board of elders, one senior pastor, but the arms have been too independent. And we are changing that. This is finally our community. Well, let me go on. Another bullet and, and is that 80% of our adults would be in life groups. Currently, that's about 25 to, to 30% of our adults. Now, I, let me say this as an aside. Growing churches around the country, and there is a plateauing of church growth taking place around the country. But churches are growing. Others are uh, declining and closing their doors. But among growing churches, there are two salient characteristics. The first is a commitment to substantive, deep, relevant Bible teaching. The second is an accessible um, Understood, defined, small group strategy. And here you see some of the pictures of what's taking place in our life groups. We are committed to life groups because we believe life groups uh, is the easiest way, are the, you know, is the easiest way for the greatest number of people to experience community. People come to church for a variety of reasons, but they won't stay if they don't experience community. 
And over the years, we've had a pretty significant back door. There's been some reasons for that, but one is the lack of community. And we are deeply committed to seeing 80% of our adults. That's what growing churches have. 80% of the adults in the church um, involved in small groups that we call life groups. Let me continue. Notice the next bullet. 50% of our adults are young singles and young families. 50%. And our student ministry will more than double over the next five years. Now, God forbid that there would ever be a school shooting around us. But what can we do if that might happen? Invest in students, that students might come to know Christ. We're talking about a double in our children's ministry. Now, I have to tease this out for a moment. And the way I want to do that is by going back to our congregational survey. You know, some weeks ago, we did this congregational survey. We had a large sample, 2,200 people filled out the survey. We asked that people 15 years old and above fill out the survey. We only did the survey in these three services in this worship space. And actually, the results were sobering. The median age in our worship services is 50 to 59. The majority are above 50. 13% are in their 30s. 16% are in their 40s. Now look at this. This haunts me. 78% of the people filling out the survey do not have children in sixth grade or younger. I hope you see a problem. We see a huge problem. In 2003, 29% of our attenders were age 40 to 49. Today, it's 16%. 2003, 12%, 60 to 69. Today, it's 21%. Uh, this is reflected on our women's Bible studies. It's reflected on our men's Bible studies. Now, I want to make some comments about this. I want to talk for a few minutes about this. What is going on at Wheaton Bible Church? One of the ways I state it is that the church is aging with me. Our church is aging. And I want to go on and say right away that age is not a curse. In the Bible, it's just an opposite, just the opposite. One of the great strengths of the ministry of Wheaton Bible Church is that we are a multi-generational church. Five, six generations here on our, <clears throat> our campuses. But having said that, the blessings of aging, uh, the blessings of multi-generational ministry, we can't let these percentages continue. As a matter of fact, there are some churches in our area over the last uh, couple of years that either have been assimilated or, or closed because they didn't address the aging 
that was part of the thing that was going on in their ministries. So we are very concerned about young adults, you singles, uh, uh, you married couples and families. We are very concerned about young adults in our world, in, in our neighborhoods. And we have to address these ratios. It's one of the reasons, we, as I have said publicly, uh, we, are, um, we have a search going right now for a young teaching pastor. We're looking for a guy in his 30s to join our primary teaching team. We've received, by the way, about 150 applicants or applications. Now, for those of you that are 50 and above, like moi, I want you to understand we are not in any way trying to marginalize you, but I do want to ask you to think about what you can do to invest in the generations behind you. I said in the last service, our our traditional service, we are deeply committed to ministering to you going forward, but we have to focus on your children and your grandchildren. Otherwise, in five to seven years, we're going to have a real problem. And I want you to understand in the years that I have left, as I develop younger teachers, as I develop younger leaders in our church, I am all in on this. We are not about interested in doing away with multi-generational ministry, but we do have to get younger. We have to change these ratios. And I want you to join us. I want you that are 50 and above to join us. You have such incredible life experience, such incredible wisdom. We need you that we might reach out to 20, 30, 40-year-olds as as we go forward. Let me continue. And finally, these are our last two of the five. That we would see over the next five years, 4,000 faith decisions, 1,500 baptisms. Over the last five years, we've had 2,600 faith decisions. 600 baptisms. I have people telling me this, this number isn't a faith number. This number is too conservative relative to the baptism. I hope we prove them right. Now, let me just tell you a cool story. Marie Allison told me this. We had a couple, two years ago or so, uh, join our Celebrate Recovery ministry. They believed in God, didn't have a personal relationship with God, and through the interaction of the people and celebrate recovery and interacting with the word of God and beginning to understand that the Bible teaches that God loves us individually, this couple came to Christ. Great story, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, Some time went by, they continued to grow, and they invited their entire family, I mean extended family, to attend Alpha here with them. Alpha is our course for non-believers, for unchurched people who are trying to figure out um, a relationship with God. So they sent out this invitation to their entire extended family. Three people came. All three of those um, uh, people came to Jesus Christ just a couple of months ago. Isn't that cool? And if you are here today and you don't own Jesus, I'm going to say it again. I, I, want, to, uh, I want you to get qu- your questions answered. I want you to attend Alpha. I, I want you, we want you, we are here because we want you to know what we know about forgiveness and life in Jesus. 
These are your neighbors, your family members, your co-workers. That they might come to know Jesus. One of the things, and this I'm, now I'm kind of jumping down into some of the details. One of the things I want to see happen at Wheaton Bible Church is that we change from primarily a gathering culture to an inviting culture. And we're inviting people to worship. We're inviting people to ministries like Alpha. Finally, 500,000 people, no, not people, ours, invested in our communities here and around the world. I'll take 500,000 people. Now notice, we say around the world, this does not include our 93 missionaries. This includes us and our ministries in our communities here at the campus in Pointe and our GO teams that travel regularly all around the world. Let me just take Pointe, this incredible ministry that God has given us. Over the last 10 years, 90,000 hours have been invested in Pointe alone. Students come to our after-school tutoring and, and, and care. And they come in elementary school, and they go through junior high and high school, and now we have students that are going to college. Many, the first in their extended families to ever go to college. And in part, it's because of the volunteer hours, you mentors, you tutors, uh, those of you that have befriended these children who have grown, have invested 500,000 hours over the next five years. As you and your life groups, as you and your, um, with your friends through CareFest and all the different things we do are investing in the cause of Christ. So let me wrap this up. Don't think numbers, think lives, think hearts. Think of a culture that is getting crazy and violent. We cannot idly stand by. I want to invite you to join us to pray that 8,000 people will um, uh, uh, Join us in worship. 80% of our adults will be in life groups. 50% of our adults are young singles and young families. That we will see at least 4,000 faith decisions, 1,500 baptisms, and we will deeply invest in the global and the local cause of Christ. Amen? Thank you, God. Thank you. Let's pray and then worship. Father, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for what you will do for us. Bless us. Draw us to yourself. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment. Help us to speak truth into each other's lives that we can turn these lights on together. We have set an aggressive agenda but we believe it's from you. So God, because you are able, you bring this to pass because of the spirit that is at work in us. Amen.